Today's guest is Jonathan Den, who's the author of the new book, Drumbeat. And we'll get into the details of that. John has been a hotel chain CEO. He now leads as a CEO coach for Vistage Groups, um, which are private advisory boards. He studied organizational behavior in business school, and he's always uh, just a happy guy because he lives on Cape Cod and the west coast of Florida. We're going to talk about the biggest mistakes people make when it comes to productivity and keeping themselves organized. We're going to talk about specific methods on how you can get yourself and your team organized to achieve the most important tasks for your business. I love this metaphor that John shares. It's really great, and it's not just because I used to be a drummer. Anyhow, you're going to learn a ton from John Den. John Den, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. You betcha. So start by sharing with our audience something surprising about you that they may not know. Well, you may not be able to tell this from listening to me, but I had a long bout with chronic fatigue in my career. And from necessity, I learned how to get a lot of stuff done and be more productive. And I actually advanced my career during that time. But it was because I had to. So a lot of those tricks and tips that I learned back then I've put into the book. We're talking about your book, which is Drumbeat, which is in essence a business productivity playbook, how to beat goals and disorganization. And before we get into all the great lessons that you have in the book on what people should do, what's the biggest mistake that you see people make when it comes to not achieving their goals? Well, there's a few that are up there almost tied, but if, it's, if I said there was the biggest one, I would say that people are not keeping a great external memory device. Okay, and what, what do you I, mean by that? I, yeah, what I mean by that is um, you, I, I actually counted this the other day. I had 27 really good ideas, well, at the time they seemed good. So I use a digital app that I keep everything in folios by topic. So... I make sure that I grab them either, I write them down if I'm not near a computer or my phone, I sort them back into the, the digital planner later, but then when I have time to plan for the following week, I go look and see what's inside the folio for that particular project, and I remember where I was in that project in my head so I can actually work on the most important thing first. That'd be the most important thing by far. Yeah. So, so when when you talk about external memory device, it's basically not just relying on your own human memory, but instead, whether it's in a planner, in a journal, um, in Google Drive, wherever, just someplace that you can refer back and say, oh, yeah, that's the thought I had. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I don't do that, a week later, I'm like, man, what was that great idea? And I totally forget what it is. You're absolutely correct. The most prolific authors in the world work in folios. So, for example, if you're a uh, mystery writer, well, y you have to know how to knock people off in your book. <laughs> so people will keep a, you know, these writers will keep a journal on, you know, how did the crime go down? And they'll just do the crime. They won't worry about the plot lines or who did it. But then they'll have 40 or 50 of these things ready so that when they're in the book, when they're ready to write the you know the crime's about to take place. They can go back to the journal and pull one out. Yeah, very efficient. 
Yeah. So and and so so when people don't have this, what what's the result? I mean, what happens? So whether whether we're talking about a CEO or whether they're talking about a head of sales or a sales rep or or someone who's leading operations, how does how does this evolve if they don't have this external memory device? Well, they're then making decisions on perhaps wrong data the or data that is wrong <clears throat> or the wrong assumptions because they've actually had the right assumptions uh, previously, but they forgot them. We now, we now know from neuroscience, our conscious minds are terrible remembering devices. <laughs> Just off. Yeah. The only way to really remember things is to get them into your long-term memory. That can be done, but wow, is that hard. And you really have to work at it. It's much easier to write something down and keep it in one place. I prefer a digital planner most of the time because it's searchable. Yep. So if I can remember one keyword about what it was that I had, that great idea I had, one little keyword, one little whatever, and it pops right up and it's right there. Yeah. So whether it's something like Evernote or, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of different tools that people can use. I, I Yes, and I don't even think that's that important, which one you use as long as you use one. Yep. And the here's the thing. If you start using a digital note-taking program, the thing that happens right off the bat that um, that some people give up uh, when this happens is that it gets too long. It gets too wieldy. You can't find anything because, you know, you got 200, 300 notes in there. Yeah. Well, if you keep them by folio, then it's only maybe 20 or 30 notes per folio. Yep. So then all you have to do is remember which project was it. Oh, it was sales. It was marketing. It was operations. It was one of my four key reports. It was a, a client I want to go after. It's uh, whatever the pro the pet project that, you, that you're working on for an innovation for five years from now, you just go to that folio and it's all right there. Yep. And so what I want to think about is this, is that, so as a guy who spent um, a fair amount of my youth as a drummer, the theme of the book drum beat really resonated with me. Um, you know, we, we all repress those memories of being a drummer. Um, but sometimes my hearing makes it obvious because I, I don't think I hear things as well as I used to. And it could what? be from years, <laughs> years of playing in a, a hard rock band. But um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the methods and approaches that you share in the book that can help organizations and help individuals be better organized and actually get more done in less time. Okay, so <clears throat> the drumbeat, um, here's one for your day. So we now know that uh, we only get about three hours a day of really quality thinking time. And after that, we're using mental models and habits, and we're just kind of uh, like robots, just saying the same old things over and over again. But if you really want to get quality work done, you need 90 minutes of uninterrupted time. I call those solo sessions. What I have in the book is there's a default drumbeat day. Assuming nothing, there's no emergencies going on, you don't have clients in from out of town. It's just a normal day. I say to set up your day in two, three-hour sets, just like music. So the three-hour sets include a 90-minute solo session for uh, uninterrupted deep thinking, 60 minutes for, I call them jam sessions for communication with your, with your team or your clients, and 30 minutes for quick task completions. I call them finales. For the finales, I just say set a, set a timer. I mean, you really are on a sprint. Just get them done. Um, for the uh, jam sessions... 
Th those come in different flavors. And actually, in the book, I, I have meetings broken down into four types, which is kind of interesting. So there's an information exchange. I just have to get information from you. You have to get information from me. You know what? Most of the time, an email is fine for that. Or maybe you have a Slack account. Or maybe you do a standing meeting. Get it done fast. I mean, all I have to do is I need the information and move on. Um, the second kind of meeting is you have enough information to make a decision, but you need to make a decision. So these are the more typical kind of meetings that uh, I have. we have in business. It's what should we do next week, tomorrow, with this client on this project. And normally, if you talk it through um, in uh, EOS, the entrepreneurial operating system, they call it identify, discuss, and solve. So it's very linear stuff, very it's good for engineers, works fine. The third kind of meeting now is really tricky, and this is when you don't have enough information to make a decision. And this is one of the biggest mistakes that happen in business today, is that when we really do have to have a creative solution, something outside the box, something innovative, something disruptive, we try to run it like that other meeting where it's just identify, discuss, and solve. That, that doesn't really work that well. So what I say in uh, jam sessions for new ideas is e either do them first thing in the morning and schedule it so that everybody's fresh or wait to the end of the day when everybody's tired and their filters are off and they can actually start thinking outside the box. Hmm, interesting. And I think, and, and if I think about it, most organizations tend to put those meetings in the middle of the day. And what you're suggesting is it's probably the worst time to do it. It is the worst time, not only because of uh, just because of when it's not the optimum time to do it, but most uh, morning people or larks, they call them, usually have a slump right around lunch. So <laughs> that's a great time to do creative thinking is when you're tired and your brain's off. You know, it's not that's not a good idea. Perfect. <laughs> and then the fourth kind of meeting is uh, is purely social. Look, you have to build the team. So it, it shouldn't really have a point. It should be done completely outside of the norms of the routines of the business. It should be optional for people to participate. It should be fun. It should be different. They should participate in any way that they feel is appropriate for them. But here's the thing. If there's those four kinds of meetings in a jam session and you don't announce which kind of meeting it is before you start it, all you end up doing is having a, you know, a, a bad meeting because you're not paying attention to what the goals of the meeting were. Yep. So that's the drum beat. So those are the four drums for meetings. It's um, information exchanged, diverging uh, for new ideas, converging when you have enough information and social time to just simply build the team. Announce it first. Yeah. So that way people know what they're getting into. So it's, look, we don't have all the information we need, so we got to figure out and creatively come up with a solution because – Right now, it's not obvious what we should be doing. And people go, oh, okay, now I understand where we're at. Or, hey, by the way, we're having this gathering. It's it's funny. I often do this with, with clients where if I'm speaking at an event, somebody will literally come in and say, okay, so we've got this event. And so we're, we're having this reception that evening. And I say, okay, so what's the purpose of reception? And like, what do you mean? I said, well, is it just for people to get along socially? Are you trying to accomplish something specific with your attendees, um, are there sponsors there? Are you like, what's the goal or is it just for everyone to connect and have a good time, which is fine, 
But if there's another goal, I want to make sure I'm serving that goal. You're absolutely correct. And in my book, I talk about a four-step process. Um, I call it the steel drum and the cymbals. These are the metals, right? So the drums are, you know, the drums are great, but you have to have those nice cymbals and, and crash sounds to make the uh, drum roll interesting. So what you just said, when someone doesn't know what kind of meeting it is, they're not getting past the, you know, the, the even first level thinking. They're not, they're not going down to second level thinking to identify what the purpose is. <clears throat> so I have four in my uh, model, I have four symbols. One is to identify the goal and then just identify the first step. You, you don't have to go much further than that. Think about something that will be a reward if you uh, achieve your goal. <clears throat> and then here's the tricky part, how. But the how frequently goes back to that innovation drum that uh, we don't have enough information. And you see, just in that last uh, couple of sentences, how many entry-level people in an organization can even understand that process of how to think through something clearly? You see, that's the drumbeat I'm talking about. Yeah, and so, so much of it is this, this ability to guide people in critical thinking. I, I think it's, it's fascinating to me how we just assume – and, and I and I see this with CEOs more and more, which is they'll, they'll, they'll comment about someone on their team. They say, oh, well, you know, I handed this to so-and-so, and they totally messed it up. And I'll often say, oh, okay, so how'd they mess it up? Well, I mean, they, they, they completed the task, but it totally accomplished, you know, a different goal than we had. And I said, oh, okay. And, and they knew what the goal was in advance? Well, I mean, they should have. And I'm like, it's like, well, okay, so – what you're saying is you didn't tell them what their goal was, and then you're surprised that they didn't hit the goal that you want them to have that they didn't necessarily have. And and a classic example is that in the sales world where I spend a lot of my time with organizations, someone will – you know the, the CEO or the head of sales will say to the team, look, I want you to focus on um, – I, I want you to focus on – more meetings, more proposals. And the sales reps thinking, oh, thank God, I thought I had to generate more revenue. Yeah, I can do more meetings and proposals. That's easy. It's the revenue part that's a problem. Instead of, look, here, our goal is to increase revenue in these types of accounts by this much. And here's our reward following the model that you've got. And the way we're going to do it is through these steps. Now they realize that the steps themselves aren't the, aren't the goal. The steps are the steps to achieve the goal. So is that kind of where you're going? Absolutely. In fact, uh, I have a bit. I have a riff on that in the book, and uh, what I talk about is that you find the mistakes in the process, but you only win with the results. <laughs> so you, you're absolutely right. Your 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 analysis of that was was yeah. perfect. So yeah. can can you share an example or two of organizations where they had this disorganization? You can. You can sanitize it so you're not giving away anybody's company secrets, but you know, kind of describe a business that didn't have this organization, what it looked like, and then what they're able to achieve now having this drumbeat as a model or having some structure around it. Well, one that pops to mind right off the bat is I had, I had a CEO come to me and say, I just can't get my work done. I said, okay, well, look, let's, let's put in this uh, two, two three-hour sets a day. You know, you get your, your two deep thinking sessions in. And by the way, 
your open door policy is perfectly fine as long as the door is open. <laughs> you need to tell your you need to tell your people if the door is closed, do not knock. Yeah. Do not knock, knock. Not nope, don't do it. Now, a few things will happen is one is they'll start making decisions for themselves. Oh, wouldn't that be awful? Two is uh, they'll have some time to think about it. So if they do come back when the door is open, at least they've thought about it some more and they'll, you'll have a better conversation. Um, and three, you get your work done. So uh, he put that into effect and um, I came back a month later and said, well, how's it going? He said, "My, uh, it, it's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said I, I don't believe it. I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I've got all my work is getting done. And even my my uh, direct reports are saying that I'm like more focused and I'm thinking more clearly, and the meetings are more productive, because he did he he wasn't um, he had he was too distracted to get any real work done, so he only, it was like a, it was like um, you know a half baked potato, you know it just never the potato never got done. Half-baked potato. <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's that's one that that's one that's going to go down in the, in the history books. The half-baked potato. The half-baked CEO. Right. <laughs> that's funny. So so it's interesting. One of the, one of the things that I think about is um, Michael Bungay Stanier, who wrote the Coaching Habit. Oh yeah, great book. Michael Michael was a was a guest on episode ninety five of the oh. of, of this podcast, and. Michael shared what I think is just brilliant advice where he says, when your direct report comes in on some sort of, on some sort of issue they're facing, the question you ask is not so – people have been taught, well, you ask them, so, so how do you think we should solve it? And Michael tells, tells people what you should ask is, so what's the first idea you have on how to solve it? Which basically signals that look, you better not just have one idea on how to solve it. You better have <laughs> multiples. And then and then and then he refers to the awesome question, which is whenever they're done with that, you go, huh. And what else? So A W E, the awesome question. And what else? What yeah. you know, what's the next way you have to solve it? And so it it's empowering the team. Very often we get frustrated that our employees don't do stuff on their own, and then we realize that well, it's because we never encourage them to do things on their own. It's like if if I if I drove my 17-year-old son everywhere he went, he would never become a good driver. Now, I know that there's a there's a level at which he shouldn't be driving right now, <laughs> but but he's got to learn at some point and hopefully it's not going to be anything devastating and obviously he's you know taken all sorts of lessons and he's got 100 hours behind the wheel with us and all these crazy things and Yet I know that as a new driver, he's not as competent as he will be five years from now. But eventually, I got to let him drive or he's never going to get good. And I think that's a, a common challenge that we see with executives, which is, well, this person isn't going to do it as well as me, so I'm going to do it instead of them. So how do you address that? Well, actually, that's a perfect one because um, going back to my meeting example, so most CEOs, most executives are alpha extroverts. So they always got the, they got the idea and they are the best at saying it. The problem is it's not always the best idea. <laughs> in fact, sometimes it's the worst idea. So uh, I, in the book I talk about, and I've worked with CEOs on this and, and I know it works, is I tell them in those convergent meetings where you're trying to make a decision to always go last. 
See, that's I call that a windstorm. You, you, there's no way you can lose in this situation. So if the team actually analyzes everything and comes up with a good solution, then you look like a superstar because you're not micromanaging. You let them do it, and they now feel empowered to make more and better good decisions. If they make a spectacular decision, well, that's even better. Now, let's say they make kind of a mediocre decision. Well, if you go last, you got a couple of options, and this is pretty clever. So the first one is, like what you just said with your uh, driving example, okay, you know that I know in my head that's not a great decision, but you know what? I want to see how long it takes them <laughs> to realize it and who's going to realize it first. And so I'll, that, way, that way I'll know who the A player is on my team. The other way to do it is, I know I just don't have enough time on this particular project to find out who the A player is. I just have to get this done. And now, because I've listened to everybody's opinion in the entire meeting, I've had more time to analyze it myself. What's the upside? What's the downside? What are the facts? What creative answers am I thinking about in my head? What are the next steps? And then, yeah, okay, I can come in with my cape flying behind me and save the day and look like the extroverted alpha that made me the wonderful person that I am today. And, uh, and my team will, you know, remember who the alpha dog is in the room. But you see, there's no lose in any one of those situations. Well, it's, it's interesting because I want to I share something that, um, that Michael, I remember him saying on the podcast, it was interesting. But, but first, I want to take a quick break to recognize our sponsor. If making a bad sales hire isn't an option and you're tired of sorting through resumes from unqualified applicants, then speak with the folks at Peak Sales Recruiting. They're not like generic recruiters. They find the right talent you need to drive sales in your unique environment. Your only challenge will be deciding which candidate to hire because you'll probably want to hire them all. Visit PeakSalesRecruiting.com slash Ian to learn more. So welcome back. And uh, so one of the things that, that Michael Bungay-Steiner said about this is, so even if your team gets it wrong, even if the message they're coming up with isn't great, but you want to encourage them to continue presenting ideas. One of the suggestions he has is you say, you know, you know, John, when you said that, it made me think of this. Right? It's like, so I'm giving you credit. You know, John, when you said we should absolutely positively do this, it made me think that maybe we shouldn't. Right. <laughs> right? But it's still like, it's an inclusive thing. I just think it's brilliant the way he, uh, the way he shared that the other interesting productivity tip that I've heard from a um, from from one of my guests was um, was Neen James, and Neen James has a book um, just come out called Attention Pays, and so I think her first appearance on the uh, on the podcast was like episode seventy seven, and one of the ideas that she that she suggested that I've been following now, and when I don't follow it, I pay the price for it. Is she says, look, create a post it note. Just just a post-it note with the three most important things you have to accomplish today. And you don't leave your office. You don't finish until those three things are done. And guess what? If all you did each day was accomplish the three most important tasks that you need to get done, you're going to be more productive than most of the people in the world. So I'm curious what your thought is on that approach. 
No, I like that a lot. Um, I think that there's some controversy on the numbers of things. For example, I think some people really could just do one and they might want to just focus on that one. Um, and that the way that I, that one works really well is, for example, tomorrow I'm going to make sure that this is done before I go home. That's a really good that's a really good one. You also start thinking about your week in chunks. What I want to get done Monday, what I want to get done tomorrow, what I want to get done by Friday. That's much easier than I got to get these 26 things done by the end of the week because that'll never happen. Yeah. The, the other thing is I wrestled personally with uh, – I, I use two or three as a number. I, I can't sustain three major projects uh, for very long and do it very well. Um, sometimes I have to, and that's fine. But if I – you know, when, when life is normal, I like to have – two that I focus on. The thing about three is kind of nice though, is that you can take a day off or two days off from one of those projects and you give your subconscious a chance to actually work on that one that you're resting from. Um, I think you probably know this elite athletes, um, they cycle their training, right? They train five days off two, they train three weeks off the fourth and the, the, the athletes that get on the podium and win the medals are the ones that realize that the growth happens when they're resting. It's not happening while they're training. So I, in three projects can be good if you give yourself a day or two off on that third project, that rolling third yeah. project, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting. If I recall, and I'll have to go back and listen to the episode and encourage other people to also, if I recall – her message was not even so much here are the three projects, but here are the three specific tasks that I need to get done. So it might be one project and three tasks. It might be two projects and there's two on one and one on another. It might be, you know, one of your three things is look and and I need to leave the office by this time to spend time with my family. And that might be it. But it's just it's almost like here are my top priorities for the day. And I just, it, and it's funny because it gives me clarity and it's funny because I had said, well, you know, sometimes I'll put that on my calendar and I use this tool or that tool. She said, just try it with a post-it note and let me know how that goes. And it's funny because I can turn off the notices on my phone and on, on my calendar, but that post-it note sitting on the screen in front of me. Yeah. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's it, yeah, it's silly, simple, <laughs> but guess what? It really tends to work. No, I do like that. And I do something somewhere myself. The, the thing, uh, let me try to tie that together with your uh, first question you asked me. So the most important thing is your notes. And then it's, we're, we're just talking now about those one, two, or three things for the day or the week. So um, in the book, I have a process where you pull these notes up from the bottom. And you pull them through some filtering questions, which are very interesting. Um, for example, Earlier, you said something about uh, the, the CEO going, well, like, assuming that the uh, report knew what the goal was. Well, it really is up to the CEO, as you pointed out, to let them know what the goal was. But also, if every time you come talk to me, I've got this, uh, these magic filtering questions in my head, and I give you what I think about uh, why we can or can't do this wonderful thing you've brought me, wouldn't it be a pretty good idea to share those 20 filtering questions with your direct reports first? So that way, so they know what's going to pass the smell test and what won't. 
Right, and they can do the same thing for their direct reports. Yeah, now wait a minute. We just saved four months of work. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, it's you know what? It's a it's it's an interesting thing because it's almost like, well, I don't want to give them the secret sauce. And the answer is why not? It's it's similar to on the sales side when I talk about the same side quadrants and here's the information you want to collect in a meeting. And here's what we're going to collect. And it's funny because the clients I work with, I when 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 I go in and talk to their team, because a couple times a month we'll go through strategically their accounts, the first time I meet with them, they say, oh, here's this great opportunity. And I say, great. What happens if the client doesn't solve that? Oh, I, I don't know. Okay. And then, and then what does success look like for the client? I don't know. And who else needs to be involved? Well, we're not really sure. And Okay, and so so what problem are they trying to solve? Well, we think we have that. Okay, so we need this other information, right? Yeah. By the third time we have one of these meetings, they're like, oh, he's serious. He's actually going to ask us the same questions every single time. And it makes us look really stupid if we don't have that information. We're actually going to capture that information proactively. And then a remarkable thing happens, which is they start achieving incredible success. And they go, oh. Man, it's a good idea for us to collect that information <laughs> that they didn't necessarily do before, but it's just reinforcing what we tell them is important. That's fantastic. That's a, that's another way to do the same thing. Absolutely. So once you pull up those uh, notes through the filtering questions, you start asking some better sounding questions. These might be things that there aren't answers for. Here, here's the how this kind of wraps. This kind of brings us full circle. So. Since you have these uh, two, three-hour sets a day, you can make a little menu for yourself on your planner near the top. And I suppose if this was the to-do list, this would be it, although I don't think it's a to-do list. You simply put down, here are the the subjects I want to work on deep dives this week, and maybe there's one through ten. And here are the meetings or communications I have to have that are complex. And again, like maybe one through ten for the coming week. And then these are the little things I got to get done, pay a bill, send an invoice, redo a report. It only take me, you know, sometime less than half an hour and write down those 10 things. So at the beginning of every week, you can pick your three that absolutely positively have to get done or the three for tomorrow. But what happens a lot during the week, though, is, you know, you finish a project and you hit kind of a lull in the day where you're not so sharp anymore. And... You have a half hour, hour, hour and a half left before lunch, dinner, breakfast, whatever part of the day that this is. You just take a quick look at your menu and go, oh, this is the one I'd like to work on now. I'm kind of a big proponent of going where the energy is. Yep. And if you look at your list and you go, no, 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 no. Oh, that's really interesting. Number seven. You're off and running. Yeah. Right. And then you let the – the uh, there's a concept I'm sure you know called flow. Yep. So you're in a state of flow. And that's some people think maybe that's as good as life gets. <laughs> is that when you're fully involved with your life and your work, your life, you're you're fully focused, you're relaxed, yep. you're full, you're giving a full expression of who you are as a person. You're interacting with the environment, with your project, with your family, wherever it is. And and I guess people sometimes call it time flies when you're having fun. Well, you know, I can sit down either at, at my desk and work on a fun project and look up and two hours have gone by. 
Yeah. It's like, what happened to that two hours? Yeah. And that, those are the times when my wife says, I thought you said you were leaving the office and I <laughs> yeah. haven't. So, so John, I want to make sure that, that people know where, where they can get the book and we'll include all this in the show notes, where they can get drumbeat and also how they can connect with you and learn more about what you're doing. Well, thanks a lot. I think Amazon and Audible are the two best ways to get the book. And then my website, drumbeatproductivity.com. That's drumbeatproductivity.com. has uh, got other ways that I can uh, help and has other resources. Brilliant. So, John, thanks for sharing your wisdom. It's a fun book. I, I love the flow of it and the uh, the theme behind it. And I'm sure our audience will enjoy it just as much. And after you've had a chance to get it and read it, make sure to drop John a note or – Post, you know, link to me on, can or, or um, tag me on Twitter about what you like about it, and we'll make sure that John hears the feedback. So, John, thanks so much for, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me on. Make it a point to get a copy of John's book. It was really a fun read, and I just love the different metaphors he uses to help you stay focused. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key information I think you can use and apply to your business right away. First, I love this idea of breaking your day into different sets. So you have this 90-minute solo session, three hours of thinking time, and that way your team knows your open-door policy is an open-door policy, provided the door is actually open. And then just think about, if nothing else, these four types of meetings. The information exchange, where you have enough information to make a decision, the third one being where you have limited information to make a decision, and the fourth one just being a social interaction. If you think about that and you set those expectations up front, everyone will be more productive. Remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a topic you think I should cover or a guest I should have on the show, just drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.